Hi, I'm Jesse, and this is this week's message from Oslo International Church. This week, uh, we're in our third week of a series on the book of Philippians called Letters from Lockdown. And we're calling it that because this is one of the letters that Paul writes from being in prison and really from being under house arrest in Rome. He's writing to the church in Philippi, which is one that he founded and one that he's rather fond of. And he's writing about how to find joy and comfort in times of adversity, which is something that a lot of us can relate to, being under house arrest and needing a little bit of joy and comfort. So let's get into the reading. Please join me reading Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. So, over the last two weeks, Micon has been preaching on the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And Paul is writing to them from home house arrest, talking about his troubles and about their troubles. But most of all, he's talking about joy. Rejoicing through these troubles is a continual theme in this book, so much so that many scholars refer to it as Paul's letter of joy. He seems to always come back to it, no matter what the topic. Most of chapter 1, verses 1 through 26, has to do with Paul's troubles. He suffers from the external pressures of persecution, being held in house arrest awaiting trial before Caesar, and he suffers from the internal pressures of the community of faith, fractures in the community caused by dissension, envy, and rivalry. But mostly, he talks about what God is doing through it all, and he talks about his joy. Then in chapters, chapter 1, verse 27, 
he turns to the Philippians and their troubles. Verses 27 through 30 are words for comfort for when they experience persecution like his. And chapter, one, verses one, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 are about dealing with internal fractures in the community like the ones he's experiencing. And he give them a, gives them a strategy for living with joy and comfort in the face of the pressures of life and the challenges of fractured relationships. That strategy? Start thinking more like Jesus. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we read, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy being by, of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, put away selfish ambition, only being concerned with yourself and your goals, and take up consideration for others. Put away vain conceit, puffing yourself up, and take on humility. Paul is not rebuking the Philippians here for something that they're doing wrong. When Paul wants you to know you've done something wrong, he makes sure you know it. If you read 1 Corinthians, you really get that feeling. Instead, he's giving them advice on how to live with joy in the way that was modeled and taught by Christ. At this point, there's a section of text that might be offset or printed differently somehow in your Bible. Verses 6 through 11 are a poem about Christ, probably a hymn meant to be sung. It's not so clear in English, but in Greek, this section is very clearly written in verse. Paul might have written it himself, but more likely, uh, it was being used for worship in the earliest Jesus-following communities. And Paul wove it into his letter here. It's a potent song that makes his point succinctly and beautifully. The first modern comparison to this that came to my mind was a moment in 2015 when Barack Obama was giving the eulogy at a funeral in Charleston, North Carolina, following a shooting at a black church there. He was giving this incredible, heartfelt speech, and then he stopped and began to sing Amazing Grace. I say sing, but at first it started as just speaking, but it was only moments before it became singing, and in no time at all, everyone joined. And nothing made the message resound more in the hearts of its hearers than the right song at the right moment. The song in Philippians is about Christ's coming, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation. And it's the beating heart of the letter to the Philippians. It reads, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Pouring yourself out. That's 
the essence of what Christ did, beginning with his incarnation, continuing through every moment of his human life, ending with his death. He poured himself out for us. That way of being is the model that Paul gives for how to live with joy and comfort in the face of adversity, the pressures of life, and the challenges of fractured relationships. It's a way of living that's bringing Paul joy in prison as he writes, and it's what he wants the Philippians to learn and to emulate. In the face of persecution from without or dissension from within, don't try to hold on to what you think is your due honor, your due recognition, your due service or obedience, your rights, but take on the position of a servant looking after the needs of others. And don't just do it halfway. Go all in. And don't let anything shake you out of your stance as a servant. Wait and trust in God to be the one who vindicates and avenges, who judges and sorts out the world for right. Taking the resurrection and ascension and glorification of Christ as your prime example of God's plan for the future of the world. This way of living runs through Christ's teaching in the Gospels. It wasn't just a one-off demonstration on the cross that he did. It was the way that Jesus modeled and taught. And you can turn almost anywhere in the stories about Jesus and find this, but he puts it very succinctly in Luke chapter 6. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Pouring yourself out is Christ's strategy for living with joy and comfort in the face of adversity. It's a way of being that's made for hard times. When you have enemies, face them with love. When you feel robbed or experience shortage, give generously. When you face adversity, find new ways to pour yourself out for others. Now, there are a lot of things that closely resemble this kind of self-giving, which need to be avoided. You can nearly hit the mark, but come at this from the wrong direction. The self-giving life is not a free pass to make yourself into a martyr so that you seem more righteous to others or to yourself. Putting others before yourself is not a way of giving up on your life in the present, resigning yourself not to pursue anything until the day of judgment. Loving your enemy is not a way of encouraging people to do wrong and to go on doing wrong. Renouncing selfish ambition does not mean living without hope for the God-given dreams that burn in your heart. Instead, this is a strategy for pouring ourselves into others in a way that brings joy rather than spending all of our strength on bitter struggles. It's a way of taking control of bad situations, like Jesus did, not by manipulating others, but by being totally in command of our own responses to them. 
It's a way of living with real hope, not putting our faith in others to change or putting faith in our persecutors to repent or our circumstances to suddenly turn around, but instead putting our faith in God's ability to judge righteously, to vindicate and avenge the wronged, to heal and repair all things, to set the world right in his perfect way. It's faith in the miracle of Easter. And Paul is not telling the Philippians to learn how to pour themselves out in humility in order to make them miserable. He's encouraging them to dig deeper into the kind of self-giving life they have already been taught as a wellspring of joy and comfort. The story of Jesus' incarnation, life, death, and resurrection is not a tragedy guiding us to lives of misery. It is a comedy. It is good news. It is a method of sowing joy and comfort in a world that's full of hardship. After pointing the Philippians to Christ's example and drawing it out by sharing this hymn, Paul goes on to talk more about what this looks like in their community in verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, now so not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul repeats here that what he's saying to the Philippians is not exactly news to them. They have obeyed this teaching in the past, but they need to go on working it out in their lives day by day. I think there's something about hard times that makes a lot of us, that makes me, want to pull back from self-giving. We instinctively respond to pressure by drawing back into our shells to preserve ourselves and preserve our strength. It makes sense, in a way, to cope with our struggles by taking some time to focus more on ourselves than we normally might. The problem with that especially in the long term, is that it cuts us off from our very best strategy for finding joy and finding comfort in hard times. We lose our best tools for the living garden of our soul when we pull back for too long. And beyond that, the people around us who need our love the most might miss out on what we have to offer them. We have all experienced something of Paul's isolation and restriction under house arrest in COVID lockdowns and restrictions of the last year. And a lot of us have experienced a lot worse than that, a lot of true loss. A lot of the ways that we're used to showing and receiving love are a legitimate public health hazard right now. I remember a year ago when we all hoped that this would just be a couple of months max and then life would be back to normal. Back then, it sort of made sense to think, maybe this is a good time to pull back. 
Maybe this is a time I really need to focus on myself. Maybe I'll just draw back into my shell, cope for a bit, and come out when things get better. A year later, I think one of the things we found is that just coping is not a long-term strategy for joy. We need to find new and creative ways not only to cope, but to live self-giving lives. We need to work out our salvation by waking up in the morning and asking ourselves, how can I give something of myself today, in this world, just as it is? I don't know what restrictions are like where you are in your home country, <clears throat> where your family is, how your hospital system is coping, how your vaccination rollout is coming along, how the people you love are faring. But here's my thought for this week, just for the next seven days. Every day, set apart five minutes. Pick one person you know. Think about what you might be able to give to them today. Think about their needs and the tools available to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide your work and then go do something for them. Keep it simple, keep it manageable. You could write to an old friend that you've fallen out of touch with and tell them one fond memory that you have with them. You could order food delivery to someone you know is working from home. Surprise them with lunch from a restaurant they like. Call your grandma just to tell her that you love her. And next Sunday, after you've spent a grand total of 35 minutes on this, think back and ask yourself, did I find joy this week? And I think chances are high that you'll find that you did. To close, I'd like you invite, to invite you to pray a prayer with me by St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Go in peace and serve the Lord joyfully. <clears throat>